Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Gina Nelson, Oklahoma's 2020 State Teacher of the Year, to talk about the future of state testing and our public education system. Welcome, Gina. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm thrilled you're here, and Gina, you were featured in Metro Family's January 2020 issue when you began your year as Oklahoma State Teacher of the Year. A lot has changed since then, but one thing that has remained the same is definitely your resolve to advocate for Oklahoma's public school students, teachers, and staff. You teach eighth grade composition and academic enhancement at Deer Creek Middle School, and you've been an educator for more than 15 years. You're also known for your very fun and exciting classroom lessons, for singing, for dressing up, um, like you are, you're an incredible teacher. Um, and you've also had a really clear platform this year of both trauma-informed care and boosting the morale of our teachers. Little did you know you'd be serving us during this global pandemic, making your platform even more crucial. What have you been proudest of your fellow educators for during this unprecedented season? Well, thank you so much uh, for having me again. And yes, this journey has been a complete roller coaster since January when we talked. Um, but what I'm so proud of is the fact that in March, I know it seems like we're, you know, that was so, it was forever ago, but in March, you know, every single teacher left to go to spring break and they did not know what was going to happen and then, and then within two weeks when they found out that they were not coming back within two weeks they completely switched their business model if, if you don't mind the analogy here the, their business model and started teaching online and making it happen was it perfect no it was not perfect but they were doing it and not only doing that, but making sure that our communities were still tied together. Our food service providers were making sure that kids had meals all over the state. We had parades for kids and, and teachers were showing up at houses, anything to make it happen. And we did that all the way through May. And then the teachers didn't stop. The administrators didn't stop. You know, it wasn't like, okay, it's summer break. It's time to, you know, to, to relax. And which never happens anyway for teachers and administrators. They're always working on professional development. But this summer, that professional development was crucial because everyone had to learn to teach online because we knew that there was a possibility that we were not going to all come back. Um, there was a possibility that we may be face-to-face -face or hybrid. And they did it again. They did it again. And they have been learning um, and, and constantly changing from week to week sometimes on how they're going to reach our students. They've had to upload all of their content, rewrite all of their content and, and put it online and be able to teach it uh, in person as well. So the flexibility that I see that teachers have done and the creativity that has come out of this, I, I can't be proud of, of people any more than I am of teachers right now. Um, they're, they're amazing, they're awesome. And if, if the world did not know how important that public education, public schools are, how absolutely critical they are to our, our economy and to, to our community well-being, then I think the pandemic has shown how extremely important we are now. 
absolutely. You guys are your superheroes. And that's certainly, that. as a young kid, I remember my mom impressing that upon me, that there's no more important job in the world than that of teachers. And it's never been more clear, I think, as a mom than it is right now to watch the incredible ways that my kids' teachers, both in the spring and in the fall, have um, not only taught them, but just have connected with them, have cared for their social and emotional growth. Um, it's just been, it's been remarkable to see. And, and we, our family certainly wouldn't, wouldn't be where we are without the wonderful teachers in our life. Um, and, and there's been so many positives from our teachers this year, but there's been so many challenges too. We were just talking about this. Um, teachers are carrying this heavy load all of the time, even after work, on their weekends, on their breaks. What do you think has been the most difficult challenge for teachers to navigate during this pandemic? The, the instability of, of everything. Um, you know, when, when you're told to prepare for online and you do that and then there's you know public pushback or pressure to then go face to face and then do both um the amount of work that it takes to put those lessons online uh, teachers are working way past their contract hours which they always have but because of the pandemic they're adding even more of that. They're trying to make themselves more available to uh, parents, to students at times that are way past, you know, normal hours. And then they're even going the extra miles. So for example, I know that there are teachers that uh, they know that they've got kids who are struggling to get up in the morning and get online and go to school. So they will get to school early and go through their list and they are calling every single one of those kids and saying, good morning, it's time to get up. It's time to, to get ready for school. You know, they're going above and beyond. Now, are they going to brag about that and put those kind of things out there? No, that's just not the way teachers operate. They do it because they love what they're doing. Um, but also with that, that means that they are, they are extremely concerned about their own health. The situations they're put, you know, we have a lot of teachers that are in that age range where COVID will affect them uh, or they are with someone at home that it will affect. And so the stress of their own personal health, the stress of the health of their students, their families, all of that weighs heavily on a teacher's heart and on a teacher's mind on top of the academic work as well. Teachers believe in social emotional learning first and they see that they're struggling. And so right now, the balance between academia and the social emotional is taking a toll on our teachers. It's, it's a really heavy load for them to carry for sure. Um, and another heavy load is state testing. Um, in 2020, due to the pandemic, State Superintendent of Public Instruction, Joy Hoffmeister, asked for a waiver from the U.S. Department of Education for our annual state testing a month before the scheduled statewide exam. As we're talking today, there has not been a, a waiver requested or granted for 2021 state testing, so currently plans are to move forward with it this year. What do you think could or should happen concerning student testing in 2021? Well, first of all, Erin, um, I'd like to first of all say that whatever I talk about state testing, this is just my opinion. Uh, this does not reflect my district or the state or anybody else. So um, I just want to make sure that everybody understands that. I personally think that state testing should be waived again this year. 
we are teaching in a pandemic and students are learning in a pandemic. Um, if the goal is to collect data, we are not going to get, in my opinion, an accurate set of data. We are going to get an, a set of data that says who can, you know, who is learning or who is surviving during this pandemic. Uh, and for me, you know, having kids even try and take the state test this year is, I, I, it blows my mind. Because, you know, for example, eighth graders, they're going to have to take four tests. And making sure that everyone is there during that certain set of time. Um, how do we social distance all of that? Uh, what if they're quarantined? What is the testing window? And, and for me, I just feel that we're not going to get an accurate set of data, um, in my personal opinion. And I think that we need to waive it again. I know that we're waiting for at the national level, the Fed is a C. Um, what our new Secretary of Education will want to do. We'll have to follow that lead as well. Um, but for me personally, we need to make sure that our students and our teachers uh, are supported and taken care of and that learning happens beyond the test. Those are really good points, Gina. And you have been vocal about your desire for state testing to be removed completely from our students and teachers school years, not just during a pandemic. So what do you see as the biggest benefits to doing away with state testing entirely? Um, so first of all, like I said, this is my opinion, but uh, I believe that state testing is not equitable. State testing shows who has access to certain types of teachers, who, certain types of school districts. Um, and it is used as a, a way sometimes as a, a, a punitive um, way of looking at schools. Uh, and we already know that, you know, some of our school districts that are, are in, that need the most are not going to score as high. We, we have to factor in things like trauma and poverty. And, and really look at the tests for what they are. And I've been told, you know, oh, well, it's a, you know, it's a kind of a way of looking at who's gonna do well in college. Well, as we see now, even colleges are admitting that the ACT um, is not a really great way to see who is going to be successful in college. So even they are walking away from those things. What I would like to see, Erin, um, is, is a way that we can collect data and help the students immediately. Not because when you take a state test, you don't get those results until the next year. And so that's not really a way because then we got to start preparing for the next test and the next test. What I'd like to see is, you know, in those core areas, benchmarks, benchmark them when they come in and see where they are. Great. Then we as teachers can say, oh, I see you're having some issues with vocabulary or this math concept. We can work on that. Benchmark them again at, you know, in, in December see where the growth has been, see if we need to implement RTI, and then at the end of the year, give them another benchmark. Now, I'm not saying all the state testing, these are smaller things that we can see if they are matching up to the state standards and that we can truly help them immediately um, and not, not take a test that we don't even get to see. Te teachers don't know what's on those tests. We know the concepts, but we aren't allowed to know what is on that test. Um, and the weight of the test of, you know, determining whether schools are going to get funding is punitive. 
looking at it and say, you know, for our eighth graders who, you know, they tied their driver's license to the, the reading test or our third graders, you know, the pass rates. We really, I really think that we can make something work for our education system that helps the students and then it's not a gotcha, a gotcha data point. Really good points. Um, you mentioned those benchmarks and opportunities that teachers could potentially have to, to assess where students are and be able to help them more quickly. Um, any other alternatives that you would recommend for teachers, schools, or districts to assess students rather than relying on that state testing data? And even if we don't move away from state testing completely, why is it important that we use that only as a single data point in conjunction with other assessments to really look at student knowledge and teacher success? Um, I, I really do struggle with looking at it as that single data point. You know, um, if, if educators don't work that way, we, we look at growth uh, and and we've seen it as educators. I will tell you, there are there are some kids that will come in and get through the test really fast and put their head down and take a and take a nap. Okay, so you're not going to get those um, accurate data unless you see a progression, and that's for me what is important. Um, I know that at our school, you know, we use that RTI data to constantly track kids, and it also separates between is this an academic issue that the kid is having or is it a behavioral issue? Because those are two different things that it can it can affect our school success, right? As a as a child, um, and I think really and truly we we can move away from the state test and find ways that are going to help educators become better educators, but and also help our students become more successful because we're honing in on the specific areas they need help with and not a state test that's very vague and very broad. And as we as Oklahoma educators, we don't know exactly what is on that test. It really helps as a parent to hear your assessment of this. Um, so I appreciate, I appreciate the knowledge personally and appreciate the knowledge for all of our parent listeners. So speaking of parents getting engaged in this, how can parents advocate for either the removal of state testing or lessening some of those potential negative effects on students and teachers both? Sure. Well, I, in, until things change at a national level where we're not focused on um, a one-size-fits-all kind of unequitable test, you know, we're, we're going to have to, as, as a nation, say, no, we need to look and see what other countries are doing as well. But also, I want to, for all of your listeners, teachers don't make the rules. We don't make the rules. Uh, we don't make the laws. We don't really get a set, you know, we're, we're told, okay, here's what you're going to, you guys are going to be teaching, and here are the laws, and here are the restrictions. So, you know, contacting their legislators and being involved in their um, in, in their in their local, you know, you know, plat groups or or parent organizations, and making sure that the things that you guys find are important in public schools are being taught there, because it really gets passed down to us. And sometimes I think that you know we become the the bad man boogeyman <laughs> because oh well that teacher's making them. The teacher is being made. Okay, so contacting your you know your legislators and letting them know you know that this is this is what we want to see happen with our educational system um you know contacting our state board um, superintendent just we really have to work together 
if, if there's one thing that I think that the pandemic has shown us as well, is that all of us is connected. Our local school boards, our administrators, our, our state school boards, our state superintendent, our governors, our legislators, we are all connected. And we all need to be on the same page, which is that we need to make sure that everyone wants to have every single kid in Oklahoma receive an amazing education. That means that it is fully funded. And that's another thing we've seen. Where are the holes in education? Well, we're finding them because the pandemic is showing us that we don't have broadband for every kid in this state. That's an access thing. That's an equity thing as well. We want to make sure that every kid has access. We want to make sure that we are competitive with every other state and every other country. And that means investment. When we invest in public education, we are investing in our economy and that is cyclical. You want a great economy? You have to have a great education system. And that means we fully fund and make sure that we are the most competitive in the rest of the nation. That's really, really good advice and good perspective, Gina. We have all suffered collectively as a community during this pandemic. And as you mentioned, um, I think it's become more apparent how connected everything is. And there are certainly populations of our students and families who are enduring a lot more than others. For children who have higher instances of trauma, who live in poverty, or who have special needs, what have you seen teachers doing collectively to support these students? And how can the community help? Well, I, I love that you brought this up. Yes, this is my, this is my wheelhouse. I am, a, I am the product of childhood trauma. I am a product of living in absolute poverty. And, um, you know, public schools have provided so many things. And, and we see that people keep saying, well, you know, mental health and food and everything. Yes, those are being provided by the schools. And that is, that is a heavy weight for our public schools to have to take care of educating, of making sure our kids are, are mentally sound, making sure they are fed. Um, what we need to make sure that happens now and in the future is that if we are truly going to invest in mental health, we need to make sure that our schools have access to counselors and, and other um, health organizations that can come in and, and help. Teachers and counselors right now are amazing me. They are, they are making sure that, you know, going out, reaching out to students that are, you know, special education students, sending home packets of, of manipulatives that the teachers have paid for themselves to make sure that these kids um, have an experience that they're not feeling left out. They're connecting on, on Zoom, which is, I know it's not everyone's favorite, but when the fact is, is that when you're at home and you can see someone else's face and your teacher, and sometimes these Zoom meetings are just get to know use and, and keeping their classrooms together. Telehealth, which is something that of course our, our, um, our mental health professionals have been using for therapy around the country this year, well, our school counselors are now offering that as well, you know, where kids can log on and, and talk to their, their counselors. We are, even though we are separated, we're becoming more connected. Uh, you know, I've had the great pleasure this year of getting to go to professional developments all around the country, right here in this room, um, which I've never done before. I wouldn't have been able to. I couldn't afford, you know, the, the travel and everything. But so... For edu educators, we're able to bring in people. I've, I've been brought in 
as the state teacher of the year, sometimes to three different schools and three different parts of the state, we are reaching out more. Um, and so those are some things that I think that are, are just absolutely wonderful. Our, our teachers are going above and beyond and I'm so proud of them. In thinking broadly about the effects of this pandemic, what kinds of long-term changes, either forced or welcome, do you see happening in public education in Oklahoma as a result of the pandemic? And how can we do a better job for our students specifically as it relates to trauma-informed care moving forward? Sure. Um, I think that virtual learning is not going to go away. But what, what excites me about that is that now that each school district sees that they can offer that, they can do that. They can have a, a, a virtual academy, if you will, at their schools. They can help those students if they get put to, you know, in long-term health con you know, conditions or um, whatever their situation is. They know how to do that and they can provide it with the Oklahoma State uh, standards, with you know, teachers that, that are gonna love them and that are gonna get more confident. You know, we've, we haven't even been teaching uh, remotely or on, online for a year and teachers are getting it. They are figuring it out and they're only going to get better at it. They're only going to get better at it. Uh, and so I think that that is something that's going to be great. Um, another thing, and it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yes, I've talked about, you know, we need to make sure that every kid has access to, you know, to the internet and, and to tech. So yes, that's an issue we have now, but if we flip that and say, okay, we need to, as a state, make sure that that happens because this could happen again. We need to make sure that we're not lagging behind, sorry for the pun, uh, but we're not lagging behind because of a lack of accessibility. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's another thing that we can see. We also know that because uh, some of the issues of going back to school are our ventilation systems. You know, we have small classrooms about the size of your living room where we put usually 30 kids in to teach in a classroom. And we know that we have some ventilation issues and that's why they can't come or we need to reduce class sizes. The reduced class sizes need to happen because better learning happens that way. So for me, it's a mirror right now. This pandemic is a mirror, okay? Here it is, here are the issues that we have. How can we solve them? For mental health, we already knew that we were, we were moving towards more trauma-informed learning as a state. Teachers were getting you know, all the classes. We were doing the workshops. We, we were making conscious efforts at it. Now, not, we are going to see an uptick in childhood trauma when they all come back. You know, Fingers crossed we're, we're coming back, okay? So at some point, we're gonna see that because they have seen their parents lose their jobs. They've lost loved ones. We have teachers that are going to be ha uh, going to be suffering from post-secondary trauma as well, because we've lost our coworkers this year. We have lost uh, administrators, and so there is a collective trauma that we're all going to have to work through, which means that we need to put more emphasis on social emotional learning, and take away that press for the test constantly, because we've we've got to rebuild a community. Our communities need to trust in everyone again, and, and, and we've got to come together. Um, and so for communities, I say get involved. Let's put the public back in the public school and, and really work together uh, to rebuild our communities. 
That's such a great point. Um, I was having a conversation with another local teacher recently, and he mentioned that that same concept that this is going to take years for us to recover from that even you know if we all get to go back if the kids get to go back to school in the fall and um, maybe a year from now you have a child who was struggling as a result of the pandemic and that perspective was so helpful to me as a mom to consider that this doesn't end when everybody gets to go back to the classroom as normal. This is something that we've got to be focused on for the next five, 10 years, maybe even longer. Um, so I, I, love, I love that you said that. Um, it's such important perspective, I think, for all of us to consider. So finish this sentence, Gina. What teachers need most in 2021 is? R-E-S-P-E-C-T. <laughs> We, we do. Um, you know, I, I, I try to tell all, I talk to a lot of, of intern teachers. So these are the teachers that are, are in college that are planning on becoming teachers. And this is, this is a big thing that they, you know, they want to talk to me about is, you know, I'm not sure I want to stay here because of the lack of respect that our state shows for teachers. And I think, no, I, we need you. And I, I hear that a lot from our teachers. And, and, and Aaron, I'll be honest with you right now, we have a perfect storm brewing in Oklahoma. Um, this is the third year past the walkout. We have a lot of teachers that were already planning on retiring after this year. We have COVID, which has affected our teachers with, uh, you know, compromised immune systems or have family members that have compromised immune systems. They are looking to leave the profession. Some, uh, some of them already have in December. Uh, we have and an, an a larger amount coming in May. We do not have a lot of teachers that are just warming to become educators in our, in our college systems. So we don't have a lot of reserves. So what we need to do is we need to continue to support these educators that are, are going in. I know that they're already talking about budget cuts for next year at the state level. And we already know that that, that means that they're going to look at us and, and we, we as moms and, and, and as parents and as teachers all need to come together and say, no, we can't, we can't do any more budget cuts. Um, we, we need to lift our, our students up. We have 700,000 public education students in Oklahoma that are depending on us and we have to be their voices. Um, and the number, and honestly, the number one reason when everyone is polled on why teachers leave is a lack of respect. It, that's what it is. And so, you know, I know that sometimes in the comment sections or, or anything, people can just say what they want to say, but that, that, that affects people. You know, when, when teachers stand up and say, I'm concerned about our safety, and when we get backlash for, for that, that, that is a, a signal that, you know, well, maybe I shouldn't be here. And, and we are going to, I don't want to lose any teacher over that because they are doing amazing things every single day. Teachers saved my life growing up. I will always fight for teachers. I will always speak out on behalf of teachers um, because I, I believe that they are saving lives every single day and they are changing lives. And I bet you could sit here and tell me about the teacher who changed your life. Everybody can. Everybody has that story. Um, and so we, we just have to protect and sustain and retain our teachers this year so that they can continue to fight for our students. 
I love that that we talked about earlier too that this is not something that teachers can do by themselves that this is a community-wide effort it takes all of us whether that's calling your school or your district to find out how you as a parent can support them whether that's calling your state legislators do it we all need to do um, our own part to to help ensure that our teachers stay that our teachers feel supported so that in the end we have a better community overall our kids get to learn our kids get to be successful and um, it's again comes back to that cyclical nature of all of this so that's certainly on i i don't really do resolutions but i do like to think through some things that i need to focus on in in the new year and so that's that's at the top of my list figuring out how i can support the teachers around me so Gina, as we prepare to welcome a new State Teacher of the Year in February, what is your number one hope for public education in Oklahoma this year? My number one hope is that we can fully fund and elevate this profession again. Um, we, are, we are not the enemies. We are, we, are, we are part of the community. We're moms and we're, and we're dads and we love our students and we love our communities and and we we stick through some some very tough situations um but really and and truly i just think that as as a state we need to make sure that education is our priority because everything everything comes from education if you want better businesses you got to have educated people going into that if you want our trades to take off in Oklahoma, we gotta make sure we're investing in education and in our students and in our teachers. Um, I like to think about teachers being good shepherds. And if you take care of your shepherds, they're gonna take care of the sheep. And so for, for me, we, we've gotta be good stewards and good shepherds and, and take care of each other. So that's what I want to see uh, as 2021. And, and, you know, hopefully when I step down in, in July, that'll be uh, kind of my last time as the new state teacher takes over of the year. I hope that we remember as teachers that we cannot be complacent in our advocacy. We cannot be complacent in our empathy and we cannot be complacent in our pedagogy. Because the only thing that's going to be constant is change. And we have to make sure that we're speaking up for the right things. So great, Gina. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you especially for all of your work on behalf of our teachers and students. Uh, you have, and I know you will continue to make a lifelong difference in the lives of all the people that you touch. Thanks everyone for watching. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.